We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode 803 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. I still can't believe I am saying that. We've just officially celebrated our 800th episode. Thank you so much to all of those along the way who have listened, subscribed, given us feedback, been a part of this journey, especially those here on the team, both those who started with us and are no longer with us anymore, as well as those that started and and are still with us or those that came along the way. It has been an absolutely amazing group of people that I've gotten to know. We have people with Packaday tattoos. We have people that have met each other by being together on this podcast. It is the craziest thing that I've ever been a part of, and I can't be excited enough about this entire group and the fact that we are now over 800 episodes in. But I digress. This is episode 803, and joining me for this episode is the great Ben Fennell. And of all the things that we're going to discuss today about previewing the Packers, going over what happened in the NFL today, Maybe the thing that I'm most excited to talk about, Ben, is the fact that you are back writing Packers content with The Athletic. Welcome back. It's one of my favorite articles every single week, if not my favorite article. Uh, So welcome back to the Packer writing sphere and welcome back to the podcast. Well, thank you for that, Andy. Congrats on 803. Now I guess it's the push to 1,000, which yeah. I'm trying to mentally go through the calendar. It should be right near the draft or so. You'll be hitting that, uh, that special 1,000th episode. Uh, but yeah, I'm happy to be joining the athletic again for year number three, breaking down the Packers. Uh, all of you that follow me know I'm 
uh, you know, right on that film Monday morning. I'm going to be breaking it down and sharing on Twitter anyway. So, you know, might as well uh, formulate my thoughts in a little longer form on the athletic page every Wednesday morning. It's going to go up and uh, it's a lot of fun just to uh, cover the film and go through some stats and uh, have some conversations. Now, Ben, I would say this uh, because you're on the podcast anyway and because you're a friend of mine, but I legitimately mean it when I say the cost of the athletic subscription is worth it enough just by your film articles every single week. So for those of you who are not yet following uh, The Athletic and making sure to subscribe to The Athletic, make sure to check it out. Again, it's worth Ben's articles alone, plus you get a ton of other content. So great, great stuff, and I'm super excited that it's back. Well, that's very generous of you, Andy. I've always gotten a lot of clicks, but I've assumed most of those were my mom just trying to read what type of work I'm doing during the week. So it's nice that you're reading as well. I appreciate it. Well, I I am. And and I know that's not true because if you looked at the comments uh, throughout this week and uh, you were kind enough to respond to a bunch of those, it was positive comment after positive comment after positive comment. So uh, yes, you could have a very large family, I guess. I'm not a million percent (laughs) sure on that, but uh, no, it's great, great stuff. And we're glad to have you back. But let's kick off. Let's start with all the stuff that happened around the NFL on Sunday. A lot of scoring today, Andy. A lot, of score, a lot of scoring throughout the week, not only today, but throughout the, the year. Uh, it is the highest scoring season so far in NFL history. But let's just actually start there because I think that's a really interesting topic. We didn't have that on our uh, topic list today, but I think that's really interesting. Do you buy that this is just offenses ahead of defenses at this point? Is it because there's no crowd noise and it gives the offensive line an advantage? Where are you at with why the scoring has been so high this season already? Yeah, you know, you could point to that. People are thinking the crowd noise, offensive line, maybe the refs are playing a little bit of offensive ball. Um, but I'm seeing a lot of bad defense out there, Andy. I'm seeing coverage breakdowns. I'm seeing poor tackling, poor fundamentals. And I think that part of the defensive game is what kind of, uh, you know, takes a little bit of seasoning. And that's what you go through those hiccups and those lumps in the preseason and the joint practices. The only way to get in that type of football shape is to play football. The only way to get better at tackling is to go tackle. And when you have a lot of moving parts and young players on the back end and the communication maybe isn't where you want it to be in that midseason form, I think you're seeing more explosive plays and more points on the scoreboard. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And we saw that again, as you mentioned, with a lot of the games today. And I think maybe the one that was most indicative of that was the Browns uh, beating the Cowboys 49 to 38, an offensive explosion in that one. Another epic Cowboys comeback, but this one came a little bit short. The Cowboys moved to now one and three on the season. Then Mike McCarthy now is 10, 20 and one in his last 31 games as a head coach. Some of those are in, uh, you know, Brett Hundley territory and things like that, but still 10, 20 and one, not a great record record for the last 31 games and the NFC East we're in the middle of a Eagles eight to seven lead as we're recording this in the second quarter right now but not including that game the NFC East is 2-12 and one so far this season uh, any thoughts on any of that <laughs> well you have to remember those two wins are the Washington football team beating the Eagles and the Cowboys squeaking one out the last second against the Falcons. Right. So they're uh, a bounce or two away from being 0-4 themselves in that division, really being even worse. So a lot of issues out in that East. It looks like a 7-9 and nine might take it. Yeah, it certainly does seem that way. It's a, it's a great example of why I'm not a huge fan of 
you know, divisional football and making sure that every team gets in or at least one team from each division gets in. I would like to see that maybe changed a little bit, but that's probably a conversation for a different day. A couple of the other noteworthy games, Vikings get their first win of the season, 31 to 23 over the Texans. Bill O'Brien's Texans now 0-4 in the season. They've spent more than any other team this year. Their first and second round pick, if I remember correctly, are already going to the Dolphins next season. Not a great spot for the Texans to be in at the moment. No, not particularly. And that was an 0-3 versus 0-3 game, if I'm not mistaken, yep. with the Vikings and Texans. The Vikings finally got, got through a game without a turnover, generated some explosive plays. Thiel and Jefferson, 100-100. Dalvin Cook, 130 on the ground. Seemed like that Vikings offensive formula you expected to get with some of those young players on the outside. But the Houston Texans, sheesh. A lot of mortgaging their future, you know, for going and getting Laramie Tunsil and David Johnson and still having offensive line problems, still having coverage problems on the back end, still missing more parts on the outside to help Deshaun Watson. It just it's a shame that they've made so many moves and they're still this far away. Yeah, it is. And especially with a quarterback like Deshaun Watson, you want to see him shine in, you know, he's got a long time to go. He's not, I wouldn't even necessarily say he's in the prime of his career, but he's a damn good quarterback and you don't want to see him 0-4 to start a season. Um, and certainly with the situation that they're in right now. Uh, with the NFC North, let's stick there for a second. The Vikings, we just talked about, got their win, but the Bears get their first loss of the season. They're 3-1. and one. I still don't even know that they necessarily feel like a 3-1 and one team, uh, but you had some great stats on Nick Foles today over on Twitter, uh, but thoughts on the Bears getting their first loss of the year? They just don't have an identity right now. Obviously, the quarterback position, but going from Tariq Cohen to a full load of David Montgomery in the backfield, trying to work in guys like Darnell Mooney. They have no real tight end presence outside of trying to shove uh, Jimmy Graham down the pipe. But, you know, 28 yards rushing to get today. They have offensive line issues. Terrible passing on third down from Nick Foles. I think it was a 1.7 QB rating. They just don't have any rhythm or identity to them. And, you know, Matt Nagy is a good coach. He is from that Andy Reid, Doug Peterson tree. He can make an offense tick. I just think they have too many problems and dysfunction right now and not enough stability at the core positions, obviously the quarterback. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. And I, I actually did on the, the YouTube, I posted a quick video this week that I thought the Bears 3-0 and start. Uh, if you want to take it a look, a look at it from a Packers fan perspective, I thought the 3-0 and start was the best thing possible for a Packer fan. You know, you're looking at a team that probably doesn't feel like a 3-0 and team. You want them probably as far away from Trevor Lawrence and, uh, you know, uh, Justin Fields and those young, great quarterbacks, Trey Lance, depending on where you're at on the Trey Lance train. But you probably want them as far away from, as possible from those quarterbacks. You want them still maybe in a position where they feel like they can move forward with Nick Foles, maybe more of a middling quarterback maybe stick with Ryan Pace a year too long or two years too long, the further you can push that rebuild out. Because to me, this Bears team could be a good team. They could even maybe steal a game or, you know, game from the Packers. Maybe they could even get into the playoffs. But uh, to me, this is far from a Super Bowl contending team. And again, if that pushes back the rebuild, I think that actually could be a good thing for the Packers and their fans. You know, when you look at their roster, who are the core players? Who are they really looking to build around on this team? And outside of Khalil Mack, or and obviously Roquan Smith potentially, I'm not sure who the foundational players are on this team. I think everybody is expendable, and they may hit reset like we've never seen on a team before, maybe trying to keep the coaching staff and the management and saying, hey, you know what, let's get some new Jimmys and Joes and let's rerun the X's and O's. 
Yeah, I think you're right. And I mean, they've got good players, obviously, in Allen Robinson, a Khalil Mack, and Akeem Hicks. But these are guys that are in, you're not looking at 23, 24, 25 year old building blocks. They've already traded away a lot of draft picks the last couple seasons. They're now going to start getting back to having their full slate of draft picks. But uh, it's going to be really interesting. And we will see, depending on what happens this season, if they do go that full rebuild mode. But that was kind of my point, too. If, if they keep winning and it pushes back that rebuild, I think that's actually a win for, for Green Bay and their fans. The last one I wanted to get to, and I'll pick your brain if you have anything else that you wanted to discuss from Sunday's action, but Bills moved to 4-0 on the season. It's been an impressive start for them. I see a lot of people talking that Josh Allen is the most improved player through this season so far, which I have a tough time necessarily arguing against, but uh, they certainly seem to be on the right track through the first quarter of the season. Yeah, the Josh Allen conversation is really interesting. He looks much sharper, much more decisive. He's accurate, completing over 77% of passes on third down this year. No interceptions on third down. The Stefan Diggs addition has been outstanding. The rookie Gabriel Davis has been great. Devin Singletary facing some lighter boxes and less players uh, down around the line of scrimmage. The offense looks really fun. Uh, the interesting thing with Josh Allen, though, everyone says he's worked hard in the offseason. He's put in the time. He's put in the time. Accuracy happens for a reason. And I'm really interested to study Josh Allen. I really haven't watched much of him this year. And to see if there's anything different mechanically, whether it's upstairs in his throwing motion or his base or his footwork or his timing or his drops, that's maybe alluding to better accuracy. Because it's like, it's like being a golfer. You can't just go to the driving range for six hours and come out a better golfer. If your swing is flawed, if you're not practicing the right thing, you're not going to have better results. So I want to really see the details and if he's perfected or fine-tuned or maybe molded his throwing motion or base just to become a little more accurate. Yeah, no, you're 100% spot on in the fact that it's all going to be the, the fundamentals that kind of go into that. We saw Aaron Rodgers go through that early in his career of completely changing his fundamentals around, then kind of waning from that now kind of getting back a little bit but we'll see what uh, Josh Allen brings but certainly they can't be too upset with a 4-0 start and how he's playing so far those are kind of my main notes surrounding this week but anything else at all that uh, stood out to you through the the Sunday slate of action no it's a lot of fun football teams to follow you know Matt Rule getting a second win in Carolina it's great to see the Buccaneers who you know they kind of stumbled out the gates but they're sitting here at three and one coming off a couple big wins in that AFC North with the Browns 3-1, and one, the Steelers and Ravens obviously really competitive. It's going to be a really tough division. It's funny to see, uh, you know, divisions like the AFC North and then you see, the, you know, the NFC East. And, you know, uh, obviously kind of on different ends of the spectrum of success right now, uh, just really fun to follow. I know Roethlisberger is a little bit older in the tooth, but, you know, a division with Roethlisberger and then the young guys in Lamar Jackson and uh, Baker Mayfield and then um, – sorry, Joe Burrow, of course, uh, that, that group is a really fun quarterback group to watch. You're getting no matter what AFC North matchup. I wish they would put more AFC North uh, matchups on Thursday night football or Monday night football right now, because you at least know you're getting a really fun quarterback matchup, no matter what, when you play in the AFC North and going back to the Panthers really quick, um, Robbie Anderson really like what he's doing with that offense so far. I don't know if he hit a hundred today. He was close. He hit 99 yards today, but I think he was in a hundred yards or close in the, the last couple games. He's, He's really had a nice uh, start to the season. I'm surprised that more teams weren't in on him. He didn't get that big of a contract, and he was kind of lingered out there longer than I expected, but really nice signing and really nice start for the Panthers. Yeah, really good player. And the last note, what's your quick elevator speech on Matthew Stafford? 
This guy, you know, he seemingly just cannot get a competitive roster built around him, can never get out the gates through a season starting strong. Tough loss today against New Orleans at home. Just don't know what to make of Matthew Stafford. He's going to be stuck in mediocrity his entire career. Could he maybe have a swan song, you know, maybe to finish his career in Indianapolis or maybe Pittsburgh after Big Ben? You know, what's, what's the makeup of Matthew Stafford? I, for me, I really like Matthew Stafford. I love the way that he plays football. I noted in the offseason, I think he's my favorite, um, you know, non-Packer NFC North quarterback that I, has been around in my lifetime. Now, that's not saying much. The Lions, Vikings, and uh, Bears haven't exactly had a laundry list of great quarterbacks in my lifetime. But um, to, to your point, it's not like he has ever had this great season. It's not like he's ever propelled them to, uh, you know, even playoff wins, much less a Super Bowl. But I will say this. He just re- reminds me of the classic quarterback that if he got with the Patriots or the Steelers or the right franchise, we're probably talking about him as one of the, I don't know if greatest of all time is fair, but one of these, you know, constant Pro Bowl quarterbacks. Instead, he ends up with the Lions, coaches in and out, offensive coordinator in and out, just not, you know, a stable franchise. And uh, to me, that he's more of a victim of the franchise than the franchise is a victim of him. Yeah, that's fair. You know, I think it was about two years ago that I just said, you know what? Matt Ryan and Matthew Stafford are franchise quarterbacks. We've never questioned it. Maybe they just need a change of scenery. And I literally want to trade them for each other. I want to see Matt Stafford back down in Georgia. They get that dome rocking at that home crowd. Let Matt Ryan have a change of scenery up in Detroit. You know, just, you know, sometimes that's all it is. You know, getting some new, new bodies around you, new coaching around you, new voices around you. I would just hate for them to both to be stuck in mediocrity. Obviously, Matt Ryan did make a Super Bowl appearance, um, but – for the most part, franchise quarterbacks stuck in mediocrity their entire careers. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point between the two of those. And it would be interesting to see what they could do, whether it's for each other or just in different uh, jerseys, period. I think I think even just sometimes a change of scenery can do you well, no matter who you are. I think Tom Brady is a great example of that this year. I think um, I think things got a little bit stale for him. In Green Bay, they went with a different you know coach rather than having Rodgers to go somewhere else and to try to spice things up. But I do or like Phil Rivers going to the Colts. They're three and one, you know, just getting some new blood, new life out there. Yeah, I think that can be important for a player and a franchise alike. Well, let's let's jump over to the Packers. Before we jump into Packers-Falcons and break down our keys to the game and some matchups to watch, I do want to just pick your brain of what you've seen out of the Packers through these first three weeks of the season. They're obviously off to a great start on offense. Uh, you had a, a plethora of points in your article this week on The Athletic. I want to start off with, I think, what was first on your list, and that was the, all the bunch sets and play action that Green Bay's used so far. What's your take on their use of that and how it's propelled them to a great offensive start? Well, collectively, I just think we're seeing more of the Matt LaFleur imprint on the offense. I think last year was that transitional phase where he's trying to take some things that Rodgers likes from the previous regime, from the McCarthy era, and blend it and mold it into what he does, not wanting to ruffle too many feathers with style changes. But now he's got everybody's trust, and I think he's really deploying the full offense that he wants to in his style. And that means, you know, obviously the bunch sets, the stack sets, the motions, pre-snaps, that the Packers are all in the top five, top three in the NFL, that they never were, you know, the previous 10, 15 years under McCarthy. They've run the second highest amount of bunches this year. The motions, I think they're top two as well. Tons of play action, balanced play calling. But first and foremost, you have to look at the quarterback position. 
This is a guy that's buying into the system and trusting the system. He's not holding on to the ball. Only has three scrambles on the year. I think we really have to appreciate his willingness to play within structure, to play within rhythm, and to trust the, the confines of the offense and that he doesn't have to be a superhero. And he's getting the ball out of his hands like he never has in his career. And there's some scheme things to point to as well. You know, some of those jet sweeps where he just pushes the ball in front of him. That's obviously going to help his uh, time to attempt numbers. Um, So there's some scheme things to point to. But on a down-to-down basis, his willingness to just play within structure, play for another down, not live on that improvisational style, I think has been really refreshing. I think Packers fans are kind of okay with it when the offense is putting up points like they have and, you know, clicking in both phases of the game. You hit so many things that I want to discuss there. So I'm going to try to get to as many as I can possibly remember. I was trying to jot notes here, but I'll, I'll kind of go first. Yeah, we can all, piecemeal it. Let's slow it down. We'll piecemeal it here. All right, perfect. So let's go with the, the, you know, kind of what I've been calling the Frankenstein, Matt LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers offense from last year, which I think you're 100% right. It was a little bit of both. They were kind of blending each other together while Rodgers kind of got that buy-in. You could see it last year. Now you see it's more Matt LaFleur. But I think that was a million percent the right way to go about it for Matt LaFleur because I think if he would have tried to shove down everything and just say that this, this is the way we're going to do it and you're not going to get your say and we're not going to run some plays that you like, I just think that that would have been – if if people were concerned about the Rodgers and LaFleur relationship, that would have been a way for it potentially to go sour to begin with. And I, I don't think we can understate the fact that, yes, I know the, the, the Packers lost big to the 49ers in the NFC championship, but when you are a first year head coach and you go 13 and three in your first season and you get to the NFC championship in your first season, especially when the Packers were in back-to-back uh, losing seasons, the, the prior years didn't get to the playoffs. And now all of a sudden you're in the, back in the NFC championship. To me, that bought a lot of investment from the players and specifically QB1 number 12. And I think he a million percent bought into this Matt LaFleur offense. They were able to get a million percent on the same page. And this is now the Matt LaFleur offense. And we're seeing it run for one of the, if not the first time with, whether it was with Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, uh, Matt LaFleur, whoever, this is the first time that one of these offenses has had a true MVP caliber quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, and I think heading into 2019, in, in a weird way, it's almost like LaFleur hedging his bets just a little bit because if it's all his offense and it fails, it's all him. <laughs> so true. if he brings Rodgers to the middle of the table and says, you know what, what do you got? You know, throw in the plays you like, the schemes you like, the formations, and then if that fails, there's a little bit of ownership on Rodgers as well, you know, for LaFleur trying to mold that into his offense and, you know, kind of be that peacemaker of the previous regime. So I like that that was the first year philosophy. And now it seems like it's just foot on the gas and it's all Matt LaFleur and we're seeing his full offense deployed. Agreed. So the other thing that you touched on is, is those scheme plays. And we saw, you know, a lot of play action uh, boots this week and we see just Rogers being able to get some really easy throws. You mentioned the jet sweeps that they've been doing as well. I've always been a huge advocate every once in a while when there'll be maybe like a Matt Flynn in or something, you see the offense kind of get dumbed down. What's the first thing they say? Oh, you just got to get these guys, maybe some simple throws and get, try to get them in a rhythm. I've always felt that that should be the game plan for every single quarterback, whether it's Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, Matt Flynn, or anything in between those. If you can just, you know, kind of get a quarterback, a few easy throws a game, get them in a rhythm. I always kind of view an offensive coordinator and a play caller. I always feel like they should be able to get four or five 
pretty easy looks for their quarterback each game. To me, that's kind of my measuring stick for if you're doing a good job as an offensive coordinator. Some games it's going to be easier than others, but I feel like the really good ones are going to be able to get four or five pretty simple passes where it's more on scheme than it is on any player necessarily succeeding. I saw, I thought we saw a lot of that. And again, the play action boot game in week three In week two, we saw a lot of it with the, the pick plays and week one, we saw a lot of it with the jet action. I also love the fact that Matt LaFleur's had like a different little wrinkle and game plan each week. So that teams have to prepare for a plethora of things, but it's not the same. Th- it, it sometimes it's the same thing over and over in the same game, but it's not been the same thing week to week. And I just think that that's worked out really beautifully for the offense and for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, you know, there's a, you know, a lot to kind of dive into there. But uh, obviously you want to get some rhythm going early in games. You want to get easy completions. And that's a really astute observation. But we're not splitting the atom here. It's not rocket science. Right. But the issue is that philosophy of Rodgers would come and go over the years. And that's the toughest thing with Aaron Rodgers. It's not that those weren't built in. It's that you can't grade the throws he doesn't make. And he wasn't always willing to take the easy throws that he was a little greedy in one of those big plays and he could wait for things to break down and hold on to the ball, his athleticism. It's just great to see him trusting the structure and moving the ball within rhythm and timing and to see all those wrinkles from the floor. That's so Sean McVay. That's the, you know, we want to have a foundation and just keep adding off of it, but everything kind of looks the same. And I love that from a week-to-week basis. You know, from week-to-week, it's not always the same, but usually within the game, you see very repeated actions, very repeated motions. becomes a very stale motion, stale offense to get any sort of tells on for a defense. And you have moving parts now. Now there's changing parts on defense before the snap. just becomes very tough to get a field defensively, especially when the Packers are clicking on both phases of the ball, early downs, getting into third and manageables. It's really tough to play defense like that. And of course, in order to get this all set up, it really is predicated upon a strong offensive line and how they're playing up front. And I could not be more impressed with how the offensive line has looked so far. And I think it's really even more Um, a testament to how they've been playing is the fact that they've been having guys move in and out. Elton Jenkins has been at right tackle. Billy Turner's been at right tackle. Rick Wagner's been at right tackle. We went into the season wondering if Green Bay had any right tackles, and now three different players have played there, and they've all played pretty darn well. I've graded everyone in the positive so far. Uh, Lane Taylor, technically, I have as a pure neutral grade, but everyone's in the positive. Lucas Patrick, I thought, has really looked impressive for kind of a, not a journeyman, because he's been on the same team, but undrafted free agent to kind of interior offensive lineman depth piece to now starting at right guard. Uh, Just everyone's kind of clicking, and it hasn't really mattered who's lined up where. Yeah, it's been very interesting, and I like how multiple the run game has been from not only just the wrinkles, the end arounds, the jet sweeps that we've seen, but the run game, you know, has been diverse too. We see a lot of the uh, outside zone, the wide zone, but then they'll work in the midline stuff, so the design cutbacks off a wide zone. Midline runs are pretty much outside zone blocking with inside zone handoffs. So if you just imagine the offensive line going left and right, and the running back going downhill to hit that cutback lane. And then some of the gap runs. I feel like we're seeing counter runs, you know, a couple times a week, a couple powers, a couple pin pulls, getting guys to the perimeter on toss crack. So just great seeing all that diversity. Watching the game as a fan or watching it back on tape, Andy, I really can't get a feel for the offense. I really have no idea what's coming. And to see that balanced play calling, especially on early downs, especially on first and 10, it's a really cool feeling to have knowing that a defense really doesn't know how you're going to attack them. And even the, just the diversity, not only in the play calling, but in the, 
in the scheme and then the diversity in the personnel groups in uh, this is probably a little bit unfair to Mike McCarthy because he did go through different phases where he would use different personnel groups but there there came a point where it was so much 11 personnel over and over and over and over uh, to your point there was a level of predictability there and it just hasn't been that way with Matt LaFleur and just in his defense when you have Jordy and Greg Jennings yep. and Donald Driver and James Jones, yeah, you hit 11 personnel and you hammer it and you make them go out there every snap. It was his reluctance to change once that talent diminished out of the receiver position. His unwillingness to become more multiple, more diverse, more two-back, more multi-tight end sets, and just doing that self-scouting stuff on saying, you know what, this isn't working, let's change it, and not being so stubborn. I just think we're seeing more versatility in the design of the offense with Matt LaFleur. Well, it's a great segue into the, the play of the wide receiver because Alan Lazard had a really big week in week three. We've seen some playmaking from MVS. Adams is Adams when he's healthy. Uh, what is your make of the wide receiver group so far? Lazard both in the game and now the loss of Lazard for uh, the foreseeable future and, and how this wide receiver group is going to have to kind of, you know, play without him. The receiver group has been okay. I would give them maybe a B, maybe a B plus through the first three games. And that may make some people sit up in their chairs because I think the offensive play calling execution design has been an A plus. And I think they've been putting guys into positions to be successful. They've schemed some guys open. We're not asking the receivers to do a whole lot. Maybe outside of Devontae Adams winning some man-to-mans on third downs, you know, week one or week two. Um, Alan Lazard is a really good football player. He's a versatile piece. He's not a nightmare to game plan for. He's not a burner, an explosive player that you have to worry about him getting over the top on. But I think his versatility, his toughness, his athleticism, all in combination, and then putting him in positions to be successful, make him a good player. And it's kind of the conversation I have with my buddy a lot in basketball, if you just kind of humor me for a second here. Go for it. We talk a lot about we watch NBA games and a guy's getting hot and I'll ask my buddy who's very proficient in pro basketball and say, oh, is he a shooter? No, he's not a shooter, but he can make shots. And it's an interesting thought to have with receivers. These are guys that can make shots, but they're not shooters. Alan Lazard isn't a shooter, but he's a guy that can make shots for you when you need to. And it's an interesting way to think about the receiver position that, you know what, he can do things for you. He's not maybe an A or an A-plus in the prototypical sense of the position, but we could put him in positions to be successful. He can produce for us. He can be a successful player, but he may not be a coveted piece, you know, through the league or somebody that's feared from defensive backs um, or a guy with a really on-paper skill set that makes you say, you know what, this guy is somebody we have to prepare for on a week-to-week or down-to-down basis to worry about in the offense. I don't know if that kind of makes sense. I'm still formulating my thought on the Alan Lazard kind of a conundrum. It does. It doesn't fit perfectly with your your shooter um, stance, but it, he's basically the NBA version of a 3 and D player, right? So he's not going to be your first option. He's not going to be your second option. But every NBA team, once the, the top lottery picks are taken, every team is taking the best 3 and D players, which is three-point shooters and defensive players. They can shoot threes and they can play defense. Now, again, I know that's not an apropos statement for a guy that's on offense, but he is basically a 
um, an analogy of a player who does all the little things right and is just going to have a role on the offense. He's going to do the little things right. And to me, that's kind of your Alan Lazard. He's not going to be the Adams. He's not going to be the Jones. He's not going to be the Rogers. But every team needs a player like Alan Lazard to kind of do some of the dirty work, pick up some first downs every now and again, and just kind of be that really impressive role player. And every once in a while, if he gets hot, look out because he can put up a game like he did last week. And we love lists. We love rankings. We love pecking orders. We want to know who's receiver two. Who is it? It's a label. But what does it mean to be receiver two? Does that mean who gets the second most targets in the receiver room or who is the second most yards or catches? I think he is the second receiver, but not because he's going to dominate in any sort of metric or production. I think it's because he brings the most versatility, the most, you know, uh, interchangeable roles and alignments and tasks for him to do on the football field that make him the second best option in the receiver room to play. And I think we need to look at snaps, not necessarily production in the pass game. We have to get to Packers Falcons because we could go on about the, the play through the first three weeks for probably another two or three hours at minimum. But, but before we jump to Packers Falcons, let, I want to get your overall thoughts on the defense so far. I'll be totally transparent. I've struggled to figure out this defense. I thought you did a great job of explaining it last time you were on saying, hey, you know what? They, they, you know, they've done some good things. They're really making the other team grind. The overall team isn't allowing them to make mistakes you know, or isn't making mistakes to set the other team up. And I agree with that. And in the same time, they've obviously given up yardage and points at the, on the other you know, side of the coin. They've also, in my opinion, come up with the biggest play of the game in all three weeks, whether it be the Jair safety, the pick six by Chandon, or last week, the, the strip sack by Zadarius Smith and the, the fumble recovery. All three of those, to me, were the biggest you know, moments of those individual games. So they're kind of coming up when the play is needed. They've had double-digit leads, mostly due to the offense, but the defense plays a part in that as well uh, in the fourth quarter in each of those games. So... I'll be totally honest. I'm, I'm struggling to put a label on this defense. There's some good, there's some bad. And right now I'm just kind of somewhere in the middle. Well, at the very end of the day, the team is three and oh, and they've ended up with more points than the opponent each week. <laughs> so the defense has done enough. Yeah. Now the issues with that, it is nice to see the offense win a couple shootouts. That's, you know, two games they've won this year, allowing 25 points. They lost all four of those last year. So it was nice to see them win those different styles. And everybody's ears perked up on Sunday night when Chris Collinsworth said, oh, they're built for shootouts. And that was kind of a backhanded compliment that the offense can put up points. But what about the defense? They're obviously allowing those points. So you know, each game's going to take on its own identity. They've let up some points early in games, but like you said, have really made teams go, you know, long drives and limited the explosive plays. For a little bit, I said, you know what? They played Matthew Stafford. They played Drew Brees. They got Matt Ryan this week. Coming out of the bye week, they have Tom Brady. But you know what, Andy? It's the NFL. Every week you have some big-time quarterback coming in. Yeah. You know, it's more of this those random ones that you have a backup or maybe a young kid coming. It's a grind every week in the NFL. So actually picking out the nuts and bolts of the Packers, I mean, Kenny Clark being out, I think, creates a trickle effect. They're clearly not rushing the passer like they did last year. Not nearly the same production and intensity from Zadarius Smith and some other guys. We've seen things like Preston Smith dropping into coverage a little bit more, taking on some of those Kyler Fackrell roles, letting Rashawn Gary be more of the rush end. And Christian Kirksey's just been a little up and down as that middle linebacker uh, taking over Blake Martinez. So those are my kind of four, you know, points there. But at the end of the day, they're 3-0, and and they've ended up with more points than the opponent each week. So we can sit here and kind of nitpick 
and maybe think that, hey, the defense at some point, this is going to bite us in the butt. But right now they're 3-0 and and we'll deal with it when that happens. Yeah, they're winning football games. They're 3-0. and And as we mentioned at the onset, this is a league right now where the offenses are ahead of the defense. And, you know, we always knew that the, the Saints were a team that was going to put up some points in New Orleans. And again, they came up with one of the biggest plays in the game when they needed to. Packers just got stuffed on fourth down. Uh, the, you know, the um, Saints took over on downs, had all the momentum, tie game, fourth quarter. And Zedarius comes up with the biggest play of the game and Green Bay never looks back from there. So definitely some ups and downs. Love the way that Jair and really kind of the cornerback group is playing as well. I think especially Jair can be looked at as a positive because I think he's, he's always been good, but I think he's even taken another step so far this season. Absolutely. This game is going to take on a much different identity in my opinion, Andy. All right, that's, that's a perfect time to move over to that. So I'll start with my keys to the game, and then I'll get yours, and I'm going to try to steal all the good ones before you can get to them. Um, the, this is maybe lame, and I think your, your stance on this is appropriate, is that injuries are never an excuse. But to me, number one on this, the keys to the game is which players are in and which players are out for both of these teams, because there's a lot of players that are questionable that could really swing the, the game in, in a variety of different ways. First of all, for Atlanta, Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, both questionable, both practiced in some capacity on Saturday. Are both of them active? Is one of them or neither of them? And then on the, the Packers side, especially on the defensive side of the ball, you're looking at players like Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary, Zadarius Smith, and Jair Alexander all listed as questionable. So the Falcons have Ridley and, and Julio, and all of a sudden the Packers, for some reason, are without Clark and Jair and uh, Rashawn Gary and Zedaria Smith, that changes this game quite a bit. So the one is the injury report and who is actually healthy enough and well enough to play in this game because it's one thing to play and it's another to play well. I think some people see that, oh, so-and-so is playing and they were on the injury report and now they're back. If they're, you know, 75% of themselves, sometimes that's not the same. Uh, my second is pressure on right tackle Matt Gano. To me, that's like the one, you know, real um, – you know, link that you can attack on that Falcons offense. The, the rest of their offensive line is pretty good. They've got the weapons on offense, especially if Julio and Kelvin Ridley are, um, you know, are active and playing along with Russell Gage, Todd Gurley, Matt Ryan. It's a good offense, but I think if you can get pressure on that right tackle position, that would certainly help out your day. And then my third key is make Atlanta as one-dimensional as possible. We could say that every single week, but I think with this explosive Falcons pass offense, if you're allowing Todd Gurley to really get going and you have to guess as to whether or not it's going to be run pass, it's just going to make your whole defensive game plan a nightmare. They have to be able to control Gurley so that they can get Atlanta in some third and long situations and have a puncher's chance with hopefully Zadarius and Kenny in that defensive front four. Yeah, absolutely. So the Falcons, I don't feel sorry for them in the least. They've been <laughs> skirting by this year with minimal injuries. They have two guys on the reserve list right now, one on IR and one on the COVID list. You look at the Philadelphia Eagles, they have 15, 16 guys on IR right now. Crazy what's so the Falcons have done pretty well. Now the right tackle position, you need to get after that whole right side. Chris Lindstrom at right guard, their first round pick in 2019, has struggled, has given up the most pressures, sacks this year, struggled last year. They have Matt Gano at right tackle, but they're dying to get Caleb McGarry back in there, their first round pick in 2019, the other one. They took two offensive linemen in 2019. McGarry has also struggled, though. I know they're looking to get him back in the lineup, but at the end of the day, right guard, right tackle, the Packers have to get after both of them. The receiver position, whether Ridley or Jones go is going to be a huge deal. Ridley's still the over-the-top guy. Jones is still, you know, Matt Ryan's go-to guy in the red zone. You have to watch out for Russell Gage, though. 
he's actually been leading the team not only in the red zone, but on third down has kind of become Matt Ryan's go-to guy for the underneath stuff. Uh, it's kind of that Harry Douglas role from a couple years ago. Uh, Justin Hardy took over that role, I think two or three years ago. And now Russell Gage seems to be uh, carving out that role. And then Hayden Hurst uh, Hayden coming over from Baltimore is a really interesting player too. Uh, he's kind of taken over that, what's his name, Austin Hooper role now that he's out in Cleveland. So there's a couple parts that are still interesting. You have Todd Gurley, you have Brian Hill behind him, who's an interesting player, former Packer as well. Um, but at the end of the day, I think you really have to get after that offensive line because Matt Ryan wants to push the ball down the field. And Matt Ryan and Aaron Rodgers are number one and number two in depth of target. They've both been chucking the ball down the field. Drew Brees, dead last. Much different style of quarterback last week. And Drew Brees put on an absolute PhD clinic in checking the ball down. And it's amazing that he can do that on a down-to-down basis. And Sunday night, he put on an absolute clinic on showing you underneath coverage cannot always be right. And he's going to find the vulnerability in the coverage. And he did a great job keeping the Saints in that game and putting the ball down or moving the ball down the field. But the formula for the Packers are, we'll give you those five, six yards underneath. You have to put together a 12-play drive to get points. Matt Ryan's going to go the other way. They're going to try to establish the run just like the Packers and take their shots down the field off play action. So it's going to be really interesting to see that different philosophy and those guys on the back end are going to be much more involved. Those safeties, those corners are really going to have to be on their P's and Q's. Uh, let's go over matchups. And I, I think, you know, a couple of those matchups, uh, one Grady Jarrett versus Elton Jenkins. That's just one of those that I just can't wait to see. And I hope Corey Lindsley's active as well, because again, Grady Jarrett versus Corey Lindsley as well. Um, I just think that those can just be some old school fun matchups that when we get the all 22, whenever we get it, you'll get it earlier because you have all those hookups, Ben, but uh, whenever we get it, it's just going to be super fun to watch. And I really hope that Jair's active as well, as well as Julio and Ridley, because I just think those can be a ton of fun matchups. So it's not necessarily maybe the ones that are going to completely dictate the game, but it's definitely ones that I just kind of want to watch with a a closer eye because they're going to be really fun matchups to watch. Yeah, and they've been going through, the Falcons defense has been going through a little bit of a revolving door at linebacker. We know Deion Jones. They work in this kid, Ola Kuhn, out of Yale a couple years ago. is a really good player. I think their highest graded defensive player at the moment. He's more of a thick linebacker. And they've been trying to work in this rookie fourth-round pick, Michael Walker, out of Fresno State and Azusa Pacific transfer, if you're interested. But he's more <laughs> of an athletic guy. So I want to see who's going to play in sub-package for them and who's going to walk out with Aaron Jones if he gets motioned out of the you know the formation and is maybe split out wide are they going to put Deion Jones on him do they think the young kid Michael Walker which he's more of an athletic cover linebacker than a downhill thumper like Ola Kuhn is so I just want to see what the pecking order is that linebacker is going to be and who do they really feel can cover Aaron Jones the best out of the backfield yeah, those are going to be great matchups as well. And if Green Bay can get matchups with Aaron Jones, it seems to be, I think Jones has actually done a better job against defensive backs this year. But if Green Bay can get him matched up with a linebacker, which of course makes sense, this isn't rocket science here, but if they can get him matched up on a linebacker, Jones has usually huge games in the passing game. If they lock him up with a corner or safety, uh, yeah, go for it, Ben. And it, and it is nice. You know, it's unfortunate that their first round pick, A.J. Terrell out of Clemson is on the COVID list. But it seems like each week there's some big player 
that isn't playing against the Packers, whether it's week one, you know, Michael Pierce, the big free agent acquisition of the Vikings, or Mike Thomas last week, or now their first round pick this week in A.J. Terrell. But that's the NFL. It's week four. You got to just put together a roster and a lineup the best you can. Some teams are in better positions than others. But at the end of the day, you got to get 22 guys out there or 11 on a side to play, and it's not always going to look pretty. Yeah, it's got to be something that Green Bay attacks pretty religiously because the Falcons' defensive backfield is missing four starters. A.J. Terrell, first-round pick. Darquez Denard went on IR this week. And then Keanu Neal and Ricardo Allen, both uh, listed as out this week. So four starters in their secondary. They still have Isaiah Oliver, who's been up and down. Demonte Casey is, is two players that play quite a bit. And then it's kind of a, a shuffling effect back there with a lot of players. Oh, I didn't see the safeties were out, Andy. Yeah, both those guys are out. So it's going to be really interesting. And it, it's, it's interesting as well – if Devontae plays, then you have a major mismatch because, again, I, you're basically going in with Isaiah Oliver as your top corner against Devontae Adams. If, uh, if, even if Devontae doesn't play, you still have some mismatches. But now your, your biggest Falcons weakness that you want to attack on offense is your, the wide receivers against their DBs. And you could be looking at Malik Taylor, MBS, and, uh, and Darius Shepard going up against a ragtag bunch of defensive backs. So you still have Aaron Rodgers attacking those guys, but maybe not quite to the effectiveness as you would ideally like. Yeah, I don't love the matchup for Bakhtiari this week, to be perfectly honest with you. He's going to see a lot of Tack McKinley. In Tack oh, McKinley's McKinley. out. McKinley's oh, he out. Is. He's out this week. Oh, that's great then. Okay, because they don't have a whole lot of speedy, I want to turn the corner on you guys. They have a lot of brute strength, brute strong, bull rushing types. Tack McKinley, McKinley first and foremost. Alan Bailey's another guy. Marlon Davidson is kind of a D-tackle, D-end with a big butt to him. So those guys have kind of given trouble to Bakhtiari in the past, those guys that want to go right through him rather than challenging him with athleticism, which is obviously a tough thing to do. So I was a little worried about that matchup, but if tax out as well, sheesh, that's rough. Yeah, the, the Falcons defense is, is definitely beat up this week. And yeah, with Tack being out, it'll be interesting to see how they play. Alan Bailey's been one of those players who I uh, don't want to go too far into an Alan Bailey conversation here, but just kind of has made his way uh, throughout the league and had put a really impressive career together kind of out of nowhere. Kind of well, I could that, do the same thing for Stephen Means, by the way, who's yeah. a reserve edge rusher for them. He's been with the Eagles for up to, I think, about two years ago. He was with the Eagles for five years. And we just terrorized training camp and preseason games every year, but never really had a roster spot or anywhere in the depth. But really good pass rusher. If we happen to see Steven Means out there, don't sleep on him. He's a guy that can generate pass rush. For sure. Anytime you see players stick around like that, they've stuck around. You're doing for, something right. Exactly, exactly. All right, that brings us to predictions, Ben. Who you got uh, come Monday night? Yeah, I'm going to stick with the Packers here rolling. I think they're going to get to 4-0 going into the bye week. Uh, I think it's going to be a little clunky, though. I think it's going to be an interesting game. I think they're going to pull it out 21-20. Oh, interesting. That's a much lower scoring than uh, I would have thought. But I I think it's going to be higher scoring, but I think it's going to be very close. I think it's going to be a very entertaining game. Um, not maybe too dissimilar to Packers Saints from a week ago. And I think the Packers win one at the buzzer with a, a Mason Crosby field goal. Uh, tie game uh, would go into overtime if he missed. So maybe not like a pressure down by one and have to, you know, make a field goal to win sort of thing. But I, I think they win maybe like 33-30 at the buzzer. Well, then just to put you on the spot really quick, 4 yeah. no heading into the bye week, when do you see the first hiccup? We're Ooh. at Tampa, at Houston coming out of the bye. You have Minnesota, San Fran after that. Could you see maybe that first one happening in those four? Yeah, I mean, uh, until Green Bay goes into San Francisco and beats them on picking San Francisco in that game, I think. It's three out of four on the road 
non-division games after the bye week. Those always get flukier at Tampa, at Houston, at San Fran. I think there's got to be a loss in one of those. Yeah, I think you're a million percent right. I mean, to be fair, if they start 4-0, and even if they go 2-2 two and two in those games, in those four games, to be honest, then you've got Jacksonville at Indy's tough, but then Chicago, Philly, Detroit, Carolina, Tennessee at home, and then Chicago to end. Um, they could really put a very strong schedule in their last eight games. So to me, if they start 4-0, and and then even if they drop two out of that Tampa, Houston, Minnesota, San Francisco cluster, I think you're okay. I think that's still looking like a 13-3, and 12-4 season. And if the division collectively is maybe a little lackluster in our opinions, what's the real litmus test this year? Is it that Niners game in week nine? Is it, you know, was it last week against the Saints? Both. I, I, and I, I, even the little ones, like not little, but even the Tampa and Houston games, I think to some extent, just because of the wonkiness of it, you know, Houston's going to probably be a little bit desperate in that game. It's going to be on the road Deshaun Watson. I still think that's an offense that could give Green Bay some trouble. And I think that that Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers game is going to be hyped up to the max. It's going to be a 325 game, but it's going to feel like, you know, one of the, the games that everyone's going to be watching. So I think that's going to have all eyes on it. And then even the, the San Francisco and Indian Indianapolis games on the road, I think will be there too. And then to a lesser extent, you know, uh, two days after Christmas, Tennessee at home, that power running offense of Tennessee, I think will, you know, will be very interesting, dependent upon what those two teams are playing for in week 16. So it, there's some litmus tests. I don't know that there's that one that you're looking at that you're saying, all right, that that's the game other than maybe San Francisco on the road. But um, I think there's definitely little tests along the way. And so far they've passed a couple in my opinion. Yeah. And luckily we get to watch the, uh, the bucks and the bears on Thursday night. Uh, in preparation for the Packers' next game, which will be against the Bucks uh, after the bye week. Which is somewhat frustrating because it kind of counterfeits the Packers' bye week. In some yeah, because it gives the Bucks the 10-day window. You know, it's kind of that Habsy bye week. And plus Green Bay is on a Monday night, so they get one less day off their, on, their, on their bye week, and Tampa gets basically a, almost like a, a bye week in and of itself. So it counterfeits Green Bay's bye, which is crap, but it should set up a really fun Tampa Bay-Green Bay matchup. I got one final question for you, Ben, before we get out of here. Uh, I know it's not draft season for a long time, but this is the one that's going to be really piquing my interest. Oh, it's throughout. always draft season. Andy, yeah, you came true. to the right place. That's true. Devontae <laughs> Smith or Jalen Waddle? Jalen Waddle is really making a name for himself this year. And he didn't have a spot in the offense last year. Obviously with the Ruggs and Judy and Smith, he was receiver four. So you didn't get to see him on a down-to-down basis, getting to beat press coverage and making tough catches and seeing those double moves. He was really just a return specialist. And I remember, I think it was Greg McElroy was like, yeah, he's a combination of Devin Hester and Dante Hall. I'm like, no, he isn't. And then we did that game. I think he had the first two touches, he ran back for touchdowns. Like, all right, maybe he is. <laughs> and he's really blown me away this year with his route running, his hands, his yards after catch. Devontae Smith is really interesting, but he's out a really, really small frame. He's about six foot, 179 pounds, plays much bigger. But I think Waddle might just have a little better size, a little more juice. He's going to test really well. Devontae Smith's a great receiver. He can beat press coverage. He's tough at the catch point. He can get open. But if you want that big play receiver in the offense, you want that guy that's that impact player, that over-the-top guy, the guy that can take a small little smoke screen and take it 80 yards. Man, I think Jalen Waddle's kind of closing that gap to be wide receiver, too, behind Jamar Chase. 
I think Jalen Waddle's going to get drafted ahead of Devontae Smith, but man, give me Devontae Smith any day of the week. I'm not even necessarily saying against Jalen Waddle, but he's just a guy that I want on my team a hundred times out of a hundred. I love watching him play. I love how he gets open. And it's really fun watching a lot of those young receivers from last year's class showing out. Some had a big week this week, whether it was Jerry Judy or CeeDee Lamb, but this next draft is going to be just as deep with Jamar Chase, Rashad Bateman, Devontae Smith, Tutu Atwell is like a Deshaun Jackson. You have uh, Jalen Waddle. What about Rondell Moore, who ran 4-3-8 in high school? And this guy is thick. He can run the ball. He's like a Percy Harvin, Tyreek Hill, and Tylen Wallace at Oklahoma State. It's going to be another great receiver class. So, Packer fans, I'm sure they were just waiting for the 2021 draft to stock up on the receiver position. 100%. I know I said that was my last one for you, but now since you brought up the, the play of the rookie receivers, only one player, only one receiver in the last 10 years has more yards than Justin De- Jefferson does in their first four games of the season. Any guesses on who it is? Hit me with that one more time. Yeah, you bet. Only one player in the last 10 years who has more yardage than Justin, Justin Jefferson does in their first four games of uh, their career. Hmm. I have no semblance, rhyme, or reason for this, but I'm going to go with Larry Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald is not on the 10. Also, he probably would, would have been longer. Oh, he'd be than outside years. that metric, right? Yep. I think he would have been outside of 10. You want one more shot at it? I don't even really have a good taste of anybody or a thought. What do you got? Here were the others on the list. Terry McLaurin, C.D. Lamb, Martavis Bryant, A.J. Green, Will Fuller, uh, Kelvin, I'm assuming Kelvin Benjamin, um, Amari Cooper, Julio Jones, then Justin Jefferson is number two, and number one, other Minnesota Viking who they just traded, Stephon Diggs, had 419 yards in his first four games. Uh, Jefferson was two with 348, so – uh, Jefferson off to a good start and both CD lamb and Jefferson make that top 10 list. Interesting. I know Marquise Brown and Terry McLaurin had some hot starts last year, but not quite that hot. No, not so much. So, all right, let's get out of here. This is amazing. And as always, I can't wait to do it again in two weeks. Uh, what'll that be after? Is that after the bye week or is that after I can't, I can't think here, but, um, no, we'll be talking after the, uh, after the Tampa Bay game, I after suppose, the on, the, game, uh, right. on the 18th. Yes, That makes sense. So after Brady-Rogers, that'll be a fun game to break down. So, Ben, I will talk to you then. Hopefully I will talk to you before then. But uh, in the meantime, uh, for those of you who are listening, thanks so much for following along as always. Again, thank you so much for being part of this journey to 800 episodes. That does it for Ben and I today. You can follow Ben on Twitter at BenFennel underscore NFL. You can follow me on Twitter at AndyHermanNFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. And make sure to check out the new YouTube show. Uh, you can search it by looking up Packaday Podcast on YouTube, or I'm doing a new about 10-minute episode every single day. Dusty Evely also just did a great film breakdown over there. So make sure to check that out and subscribe. That does it for us. As always, Go Pack Go!
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.